Hello and welcome to Two Hearts, a new Who podcast. I'm James. And I'm Callum. And Chun, this is the only podcast where this is the quote, though. And every week here on Two Hearts, we take a look at another episode from the Doctor Who revival. And this week, we are going all the way to the absolute tippity-top end of the universe in Utopia. But before that, just a quick reminder to all of you out there that if you've ever felt like you want to join in the banter, you can. You can reach out to us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com and have your thoughts and feelings shared on the show. That's two, by the way, the word two. Or you can reach out on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at twoheartspod, and that's the number two. Now, before we get started, let's quickly check in with the Doctor Who news out there and each other. How are you this week, James? I am feeling tippity-top of the universe myself. Um, For those who have been following along on Twitter, I had my wisdom teeth, all four of them, ripped out of my face, um, not last Friday, the Friday before. And so there was a long period of time there where I couldn't talk. Um, And if you know me, you know that that's my own kind of personal hell. Um, So I am just genuinely thrilled to be getting back on mic and uh, making this this lovely little show here again. Uh, How are you, though? It is a nice little lovely show, isn't it? Yeah, that we do here every week. Um, I'm good. I'm good. I've been dealing with some... Um, I'm happy your wisdom teeth came out successfully, by the way, I should add. Um, oh, yeah. Because, you know, those few days where we couldn't talk on the phone were rough as hell. Um, I've been feeling a bit crook in the old guts, shall we say. Not a good way to start this episode, but just saying it up front. Um, so, you know, that is been affecting my mood somewhat, but on the whole, pretty good. The last time we recorded was a while ago, actually. And since then I went to Adelaide and uh, saw James and we saw Godzilla versus Kong. We did. We saw a big silly action film that I did not care for. No, it was pretty, it was pretty awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not not great, not great. Of of all the media that I've consumed over the past couple of weeks, that is definitely ranking the lowest. Um, I've also, just to keep it Doctor Who related, while I was loaded up on pain meds, ended up watching uh, season five and almost all of season six of Doctor Who. Um, and we're, we've got a lot to talk about there. How has your season six rewatch been going? I haven't checked in with you on that. Um, it's been good. I'm, I'm stagnated at, I think I just watched The Girl Who Waited... Um, as the last episode, I think the next one I've got is the, um, the one that looks like the shining hotel, <laughs> the God, the God complex, which is a yes excellent episode. So I hear, so I hear, but you yeah, know, season six is interesting because I mean, uh, just a little behind the scenes info for you guys. Um, we'd been talking about how we felt about getting out of the RTD era and tackling Moffat's first couple of seasons. And we weren't super looking forward to it, uh, because we both had, interesting memories of Amy's time on the show, let's say. Um, and now watching it back over, I'm like, oh no, no, there's, we're going to have some really fun stuff to talk about. I think Amy and Rory are particularly interesting characters. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting there, but we've, we've obviously got a fair bit more to get through with RTD first. Yes, we do. And at least another season and a bit to go with him. Oh yeah. Um, you know, speaking, this is probably the most interesting Doctor Who news we have for you this week because there isn't much out there in Doctor Who land, as we always say every week. Um, but we do have a <laughs> couple of 
a couple of items, um, mainly the ongoing Ninth Doctor promotion. Turns out he's coming back to Big Finish, if you weren't already aware. Christopher um, Eccleston, remember that? <laughs> ball kick, shame, ball. <laughs> um, yeah, and he did a very interesting video the other day uh, responding to tweets, uh, questions, fan questions about the upcoming Big Finish series. And there was a moment that I particularly enjoyed where somebody tweets at him and asks, you know, and starts, they ask him a question. I, I honestly can't remember the question, but the first sentence is, you know, I know that you've distanced yourself from Doctor Who since you were on it. And then he follows it up with a curt, that's your opinion, uh, which I love. <laughs> good, good on him. Eccleston is an interesting one. I, I do like his way with words. He's, he's particularly curt at times. Um, oh. He also recently did an interview with Den of Geek where they asked him about the impact of Whitaker's casting in the role. Um, and he had this to say, this is a bit of an unwieldy one, but I'm, I'm going to get through it for Eccleston's benefit. Um, I, don't, I can't do a Christopher Eccleston accent, but... Oh, I think it's time for the do- no. I think it's no. time for the doctor to meet the cyber women in the 21st century. We've had enough cybermen. I would very much like for the doctor to meet Emily Davison, who threw herself in front of the Derby winner and was one of the forerunners of the feminist movement and a martyr for it. I think that'd be extraordinary for him. <clears throat> to mix with Emily Davidson and Pankhurst and explore that. As I've said before, he's very drawn to the feminine, and I think that it's great that we now have a female doctor, and I think we should take that further in the way we look at history and look at it through a female lens. I think the ninth doctor would respond very well to that. I I like what he's going for here, mm. even if it is clunky. It, you should uh you should read his autobiography because that sentence, that whole thought is pretty much the book in full. He has a very he has such a socialist heart, which I love. And so his choice of who the doctor should meet is very on point for him. Um, but he, yeah, the way that he expresses himself is so, I don't want to say clunky, but like Ill, uh, half-baked, I guess. And it's yes, all yeah. good. It's just- Oh yeah, his politics are in the right place. Yeah. It's just, yeah, God, it's it just, it's so awkward to read sometimes. Yeah, it's like the like the term cyberwoman alone made my skin crawl a little bit. Um, just I don't know. It's got big girl boss energy. I don't know what's going on there, but <laughs> it's got big torchwood energy. Oh, oh, that's right. Remember, but they had to make her sexy. She had high heels. Okay, all right. She also had boobs, but whatever. High heels and boobs for the cyberwomen and torchwoods universe. Nothing more. Nothing less. Nothing less. <laughs> uh, speaking of sexy Doctor Who as well, the only other real port of call that we've got for news this week is uh, our boy Matt Smith, who I quietly have very much come around on. Um, but don't tell anyone. Um, Matt Smith did an interview where he was asked about his time on the show and what it sort of felt like for him. Um, and he said that basically that it was like super rewarding, but it was incredibly challenging for him because it was such a taxing experience in terms of the filming schedule. And that's what stopped him from doing a fourth season is that he was just just completely burnt out on the work required. Um, and Billy Piper also made similar comments um, sometime recently. I'm not entirely mm-hmm. sure when that was. Um, and But where she said, you know, it just, it takes me away from my kids for so long. It'd be nine months solid off on a shoot. And, and I just find that like just a really interesting little sort of behind the scenes tidbit of like, you know, it's this little, you know, podunk show um, that apparently requires just a huge amount of effort from everyone involved. Well, you're right. And what surprised me more about uh, reading that interview was um, just reminding myself of the fact, because, you know, we Doctor Who fans tend to get very insular about 
this show <laughs> that we love and we argue our little corner, but we make it a small little world that we inhabit and we forget that it is a international global sensation. And so when Billy Piper says something like, it makes you feel very, very, very famous being on that show, it, yeah. I do have to just take a step back and be like, oh yeah, right. These are celebrities now because of this show. It, yeah. It's an odd yes. little dissonant moment. It is. It, it definitely is. I, I just thought that was um interesting to just, just a way to reframe the show and maybe sort of, like you said, consider the human element of it. Hmm. Um, but that is pretty much it for the news. Um, that's it for our personal news as well. So speaking of considering the human element, let's, oh, <laughs> let's talk about Utopia. <laughs> We're going to the end of the universe. The call came from across the stars over and over again. Come to Utopia. Doctor. Captain. Utopia is the last of the humans scattered across the night. Humans are coming. Not even the time lords came this far. We should leave. Utopia is episode 11 of series 3 of the Doctor Who revival. It is directed by Graham Harper and written by showrunner Russell T. Davies. Um, The plot sees the Doctor and Martha park the TARDIS in 21st century Cardiff to soak up some rift radiation. But when they take off, a stowaway has jumped on board. Captain Jack Harkness. Jack's back. Uh, The TARDIS throws the crew to the very end of the universe in an attempt to shake off the immortal captain. And the Doctor is hostile towards him at first. After getting chased down by some end-of-the-universe cosplayers in a quarry, the TARDIS team take refuge in the silo, where the last of humanity are preparing to blast off in a rocket to Utopia, a mysterious beacon calling to them from the depths of space. Here they meet Professor Yana and Chanto, trying their best to make the rocket blast off but to no avail. But with the Doctor's help, they get the the rocket working and are ready to fly. While the Doctor and Jack have a heart-to-heart about his immortality and Rose, Martha discovers the distracted Professor is carrying a fob watch, the same as the Doctor's, a Gallifreyan device to rewrite biology called a chameleon arc. The Doctor is definitely not alone anymore, but it's worse than that. As Martha runs off to warn the Doctor, it is too late, and Professor Yana opens the watch to reveal his true persona hidden underneath, the Master. He lets the future kind into the silo, then kills Chantho, but not before she shoots him, fatally wounding him. The Martha goes in... The Martha? The Master (laughs) goes into the TARDIS, locking the Doctor out, and regenerates into a younger man before taking off, stranding the Doctor, Martha, and Jack at the end of the universe at the mercy of the advancing future kind. To be continued. It's the first time we've had it to be continued in these plot synopses. I know, it's exciting. The show's growing up, you know, and so are we. <laughs> um, that remains to be seen. Uh, yeah, I suppose. Could- so, Callum, mm. tell me, because I just, I read all of that and I need to give my mouth a break. What did you think of Utopia? Utopia. Utopia. Well, it's definitely, I think, the first... RTD episode since probably season one that you and I are both pretty much on par with in terms of our opinion. Um, yes, I'd agree with that. It's 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 a solid it's a solid episode and it's a it, yeah watching it it re- made me just realize that like there is not room to breathe at all. But when there is like when those moments do come and there are a few of them, um, they are just all the more sweeter for it because of that energy and that pace that Mm. just suffuses this episode it is 
extremely well made and well written, I would say. Probably Russell's best script up to this point in our rewatch. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's seeped in all this, like, fan lore. For the first time, I think, that the show ever did that kind of thing. In this era, at least. Um, so, you know, there's, there is a lot, there are a lot of firsts, I think I would say with this episode. Um, it feels very fresh. What about you? Yeah. Um, to piggyback off of what you were saying, I, I do think that you and I are completely aligned on this. Um, I thoroughly enjoy this episode. Um, I, I think this is a, a, a real highlight of season three, especially like straight after Blink as well. It, it's crazy how the quality just kind of maintains itself here through Utopia. And, you know, it's, it's obviously not as tight as Blink because it has to do so much more than that story is doing. Um, but I think for the general tone and scope that RTD often aims for, which I think he gets quite wobbly on. This is one of the few times I think the, he really earns the dramatic payoff of what he's going for. Um, Mm. It is a masterclass of acting from Derek Jacobi, who plays the older master. Um, He is just, is just stunning in the role Uh, and his presence in the show and his chemistry with David Tennant as well. I I find particularly fascinating. Um, I, it's weird. This episode sidesteps so many of the criticisms I've had of season three up to this point. Um, like I, I think, it, you know, good villain. It's got a decent Martha plot going on in this. Uh, I think David Tennant is really good in this episode for the most part. Um, again, better when he's being small than when he's being big, but we'll get to that. Um, yeah, I, I just, I really fuck with Utopia and it feels good to be able to say that about an RTD story. Isn't it? Yeah. It's really good to be able to say like, this is a well-written story. And it's got Russell's name on it. Um, yeah. Because we haven't had that in a very, very long time. Um, I feel like this is a kind of episode that requires a bit of, like, background information. Because, um, as, I no- as I noted in our notes, um, this is probably this is the first episode that the expanded universe of Doctor Who becomes sort of necessary viewing in order to get more of an understanding of what's happening. And that's primarily because of Jack's presence. Because this is, like since we last saw him on Doctor Who, he went off and became the star of a spin-off show. And so mm. that's why we're finding him in Cardiff at this point in time. Um, it, it didn't, that didn't diminish my like enjoyment of this episode at all, but it was just, it was curious to me that like we are at the sort of f- Buffy angel, I guess, point of the show <laughs> with this expanded universe and it's going to go to an even greater extent in the next season, obviously. Yeah. But that I think points to where this episode sort of sits in terms of the Doctor Who history of Russell T. Davies, Russell T. Davies era is that it is the first episode that sort of relies on you being a Doctor Who fan to enjoy it. But I don't think it's a bad episode of television, but I think that there are good Doctor Who episodes that are bad television, if you know what I mean. Um, I, I do, I do. If I could, a counterpoint, not not a counter, a complimentary point to that, maybe. Mm. Um, I think that this episode does for the master what Dalek did for the Dalek. Hey, to a, yeah, to a point, I probably would agree with you. Um, it's just a shame that the master is five minutes, I guess, of this episode. Um, I mean, yes, like, okay, in terms of, like, actual genuine screen presence, yes, but I think that, um, 
if you go back, I mean, granted, again, this is, this requires like sort of a repeat viewing kind of thing. Um, but once you watch this episode with the knowledge, actually, no, I'll, I'll take that one back. Let's say, um, you watch this episode, not knowing who the master, like when you get the big review and he goes, I am the master. And it's like, who the fuck is the master? Right. The episode itself, the script, the, uh, the direction, uh, I'll give Graham Harper this, this point before I talk about my other feelings mm-hmm. on that later. Um, the score, Derek Jacoby's performance, everything is indicating to you that something is terribly wrong. And so even if you don't know who the master is, you know that him showing up, despite the fact that he goes out, straight out and kills Chantho, mm-hmm. um, he feels like a villain uh and and not just a villain but the villain uh because of the fact that like you've got the fob watch thing set up in uh the family of blood two-parter and so this series has done a good job of being like you don't need to know necessarily who the master was beyond the fact that you know that he is another time lord and that in and of itself has enough gravity within the context of the reboot now Hmm. that when it does show up and when you see the fob watch when the music changes when Derek Jacobi starts crying when he sees the TARDIS and stuff like that that you like something is making me uncomfortable here and I think that that does such a good job of introducing a new audience to the character of the master through those uncomfortable feelings in the same way that like a single solitary Dalek killing a bunch of people Mm. you didn't need to know the history of the Daleks on the show you just had to be like oh yeah the doctor's having a real fucking moment reacting to this thing in his life now I think you make a really good point and it's curious because um I think this episode you, kind of uh, comparing it with Dalek is a, a useful comparison, definitely. Um, because up to this point, for people who just joined the show with season one, um, the Daleks were the the Doctor's arch nemesis, basically. Yeah. And they are, like, I think a pretty perfect antithesis of everything that he stands for, like, in the sense that they act entirely in a way that's counterpoint to the doctor's ethics, um, to their desire for the universe. Like they just break down everything that he builds up and the master does that to another point, but it's extremely personal, uh, in a way that Daleks never can be. Um, and I just, I, I did think it was curious that like just watching this show from, uh, trying to remove myself as a 13 year old from it, um, (laughs) that we get this moment, very so early in this run because I know why it happens because like Russell was like, Oh, season one Daleks, season two Cybermen, season three. Hmm. What's the next biggest villain? It's <laughs> got to be the master. Right. Um, but it, 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 not that it, this should matter at all, but it does feel a bit to me like introducing the master at this point undercuts the larger Dalek narrative. That's, going on and i and i say that with full knowledge that like we are getting a master in this story that isn't entirely dependent on the history that these two characters have had and more dependent on what the master represents in terms of gallifrey and the world that the doctor has lost at this point and i think we'll talk about that in a little bit more detail probably next week um because the master gets, I think, a little bit muddled later on with regards to, like, their significance to the Doctor. Um, do you know what I mean? I do. I do. And, like, as you as you were saying that, I was like, oh, yeah, because next season we're straight back into the overarching Daleks, like, evil story, you know? Exactly. 
this feels like yeah. such a blip. Um, and I'm not saying that to diminish this story by any means. Um, but, and that's why I bring up the, no, the just, Time Lord it, comparison, because like this is more about the mm-hmm. Time Lords and the Doctor than it is about the Master. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Brilliant. I agree. And I, <laughs> oh, no, no. I, just think I, don't, I don't even disagree. And um, a lot of that's going to come down to next week when we talk about the two-part finale. And um, I there, there are choices made with this master that I don't particularly care for, especially after we've seen something like Missy. Um, but yes. again, that is a wider master discussion. I think that specifically in, as, as an introductory story, Utopia on its own, if you just look at it in a vacuum, um, I think it just does a, a really great job. It does. It absolutely does. And you're absolutely right. It sells that threat immediately. And I think that's I, like, let's just be honest. That's largely Derek Jacoby. Oh yeah. Derek Jacoby is like MVP of this episode. He is, I, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything before. I don't think I've seen him in anything since, which is weird because I know he's like prolific apparently. Um, but I am absolutely blown away by every single acting choice he makes here. Um, he has so much soft energy to him. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, despite the fact that like the, everything around the character is building up to be, uh, not outright menacing, but troubling, I would say. It's like, you know, there's a storm yeah. brewing underneath the surface. Um, and I, I, again, really good performance in in terms of that. But what struck me the most watching it this time back was... Um, so when we saw the Doctor get transformed into his humanoid version in uh, The Family of Blood 2-parter, two, he became uh, very... Uh, I didn't like John Smith as a man, right? I, I thought he was uh, he was cruel, he was selfish, he was a coward. There was a lot of stuff going on with, with John Smith as a character, right? Mm. And then you look at Professor Yana as um, the master's humanoid sort of uh, chameleon art counterpart. And what you get in, in the master's place is a kind very brilliant old man scientist who is literally about to give up his own life to set humanity free back into the stars. And so I find that contrast to be like endlessly fascinating that when the, both these men are forced into sort of a subconscious fictional version of themselves, the masters manifest as like, as a good guy. It does say a lot, doesn't it? And I think that I don't think the show like, is even aware that it's done this necessarily. Um, mm. But I love this point that you've brought up because um, I hadn't thought of it at all. Um, and it makes me think about the, the master's character historically because... Um, so I'd done... Like, before we watched this episode, I watched a bunch of old master stories, mainly the Roger Delgado stuff from the 70s. And it's curious because like that that time period that character was written as this like megalomaniac but a (laughs) very melodramatic one um and it's like obvious Holmes Moriarty kind of like it's all very like on the surface kind of rivalry they've got going on there um but at the same time there's a real like cowardly streak through that character and like it's pretty well established that their greatest fear is of the doctor, right? And you get the sense that they're actually quite yeah. a weak personality. Um, and obviously not saying that weakness equates to kindness, um, but it is, I, it, I, it's always made me feel like the master is the 
gentler one of the two. Because the Doctor is a very bombastic, very anarchic figure in a lot of ways. Chaotic good to chaotic neutral. (laughs) Yeah, that would probably be a better way of putting it because he's not exactly an an anarchist. And we've done a lot of episodes recently. We've talked about being a gatekeeper. So... Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, I, I do know the point that you're actually driving at here, though. Like, I, I think it's an interesting underlying sort of subtext between them. And uh, if anything, I'd add on to my last point. Like, maybe not him. The Master doesn't necessarily become a good guy. I think the Master becomes like the Doctor when he goes into that subconscious place. Mm. Um, and what that says about him. And you contrast that with where David Tennant's Doctor ends up, especially being quite a, you know, egomaniacal, ego-driven godlike figure. Um, mm. That contrast is just really fascinating to me because I think the Master deserves this kind of depth. And even if the show did it accidentally here, I, I'm really impressed with what they've done, um, which is what makes John Sims' uh, choices a little frustrating uh, over the mm. next sort of two episodes um and we'll get there and david Tennant's finale as well because you've obviously brought up where his doctor goes and the master spoilers uh <laughs> comes back <laughs> for that story too um oh yeah i, f- I keep forgetting that yeah story happens <laughs> I-, I wish i could forget it so the master the master the master the master it's yeah, there's so much I want to talk about with this with this episode and this... Uh, not this episode, but specifically this character um, that I do... That I have to save for next week because, like, as I said before, this is an episode that is... Uh, it's doing two things at the same time. It's laying... Uh, separate to the master, I mean. It's laying down a lot of this season's themes uh, in quite concrete terms... But it's also opening itself up to a really nihilistic streak that we're going to see go further into the two-part finale. Um, now you've watched, you've watched um, Children of Earth. You know where RTD mm. can go when he lets his freak flag fly. Um, <laughs> like so, knowing what comes, what do you think, James, of the? Like this is such a this is an episode that is like built on the hope of humanity just getting cruelly and unexpectedly like undercut because there's two reveals here one that the humanity's last savior is the devil <laughs> basically <laughs> and the other that the the hope of salvation at this utopia place is like just a complete fabrication um it leaves you in a very grim kind of place. And I remember feeling when it was broadcast that it was just like so nihilistic. No. Um, <laughs> what's like a TARDIS noise? You know what? It doesn't matter. You could probably do uh, that. I'm just, yeah, we could do a TARDIS noise, but instead I'm just going to jump in right here and say I had to edit out the last like five minutes of the show because we got into a really boring back and forth <laughs> on logistics of Yana and the Utopia Beacon. So we've cut all that out. Welcome back to the conversation, everybody. Um, Callum is going to take us away with uh, his continued thoughts on why this uh, episode is particularly bleak. Less about why it's bleak, but more about like how much this episode really... In some ways, it's the definitive Russell kind of episode because it's all of the themes that he loves to play with is on display here. Um, you know, we, 
you've got the humans at the end of the world who, you know, have survived through everything. And I think that's like one of the major parts of his New Earth stories is like, even at five billion years in the future, humans still exist, humans endure. And that kind of love of humans that is, is in the doctor's nature because they're his favorite species, blah, 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 blah. Um, Sidebar yeah. to that, I really liked the moment where I, I know it's like a rehash of the like indomitable Tom Baker speech from Ark in Space, but I really liked David Tennant's like glee at finding these humans at the end of the world. I don't know. Yeah, because we're we're back to the version of David Tennant's Doctor that loves humans this this week, and <laughs> so it is nice to, to <laughs> uh, sorry, it's nice to see him. Um, yeah, excited about that. I I do I do completely agree. Um, yeah, look, David Tennant, I think, is pretty inoffensive this week. <laughs> um, um, has... I would disagree. I think he's really good this week, actually, for no. the most part. Uh, fair enough. I think I, I think I was trying to get to that, to saying that, but because we've been so hard on DT last couple of weeks, I was like... Yeah, get ready for some whiplash, folks. But um, <laughs> uh, no, look, I I think David Tennant's Doctor is uh, full of um, bad acting choices. I, I stand by that completely. But when you give him a really good script like this and you let him be quiet, and there's a couple of very specific mm. quiet moments that we're going to talk about with Jack, um, he just absolutely shines. There's so much darkness and and cruelty in this doctor that when tenant is allowed to tap into that vein uh it's really interesting especially contrast with like we were just saying him running up and down corridors being like humans fucking love them you know it's interesting it's a, it's an episode of contrasts you know it's an episode yeah definitely um an episode of contrast and that continues i think with jack because jack yes. is back this week and jack's role <laughs> is twofold in that we have to resolve the the manner in which they these two characters have like last met one another but also it he provides an interesting counterpoint for Martha because obviously we are only a couple of episodes away from her fateful decision to leave the show mm. um and yeah I, I'm curious to hear what you think because we we only have very recently uh, got another jack uh, episode where a companion leaves. Um, that is very true. Yeah. Um, I, and in that vein, I was going to say, I think it's a shame that him and Martha don't get a similar, like Jack and Yaz kind of moment. Um, cause I, I think Martha could have really done with that to really set up what's coming for her. Um, I think this episode does a good enough job of subtly planting the seed that Martha is getting very tired of the narrative that she's found herself in with the doctor. Mm. Um, and I, I think that that is slightly undone by what's to come in the finale. But again, as a very blanket statement, I would just like to say, I think Calum and I pretty much agreed on this, but the two parter that we've got to deal with next week as the finale um, feels like it's just a whole different beast from utopia. Um, mm. It is nowhere near as subtle or nuanced or good um <laughs> no. but um 
Yeah, and I know I keep saying we'll get to there, but like it is very difficult to discuss what Utopia does well without also immediately recalling what the finale kind of not undoes, but just doesn't do as well by contrast. Um, and Martha is a really good example of that because you get a lot of these little instances where, you know, Jack shows up and him and the Doctor are having a conversation about Rose and they hug each other and like it's a big celebration of Rose being alive. And Martha's just kind of there like, what, what is it that she says? She just says, um, good old Rose. Yeah, exactly. But she delivers it with so much like, oh my fucking God, is this man still talking about this? And it's the first time I've felt like she is on the correct path here. This is the, I felt the same way. Like this is the first time we've had a Rose mention that did piss me off. Um, yeah, this season. And I think it's because for the first time this season, um, the show has been willing to consider like that Rose isn't the only companion in the doctor's life. And that this is a like revolving door of people that have come in and out of the TARDIS. And I don't think Martha's ever really had that revelation before this. And so meeting Jack uh, and knowing that they also, that he also traveled with the doctor and got like, tortured for it basically yeah and now can't die it's all playing on ahead and i really really like that scene where the doctor and jack are talking about all of this stuff uh under the rocket in that radiation Mm. room and martha's listening in and you like you just get i get the sense that she's beginning the thought process that like leads to her wanting to leave the TARDIS because, you know, she sees... The the, doc, the doctor mentions that Rose, you know, became a god and took the time vortex into herself. And, like, there's a positive spin on that, obviously, because the Daleks were destroyed as a result of that story. But the flip side of that is she, like, came close to death, extremely close yeah. to death. And that was the doctor's fault. And that was his influence on her, um, you know. And there's a very telling sort of way that she describes companions in this episode where she refers to them as like the doctor just picks up stray dogs and Mm. it's curious because like up to this point like because obviously dogs what do we associate them with it's like loyalty they're just like faithful companions um and like up to this point she has expressed a lot of loyalty in someone that she barely knows um yeah but to hear, like, obviously Stray Dogs has a completely different connotation, which is just, like, a lost soul in need of uh, guidance, basically. And she says it with yeah. such, like, disdain for the concept. I really liked how they used Rose and the flashbacks to Rose this week. Yeah, I completely agree. It's because, it, like, it bolstered the actual story this time and the characters that are involved in the story now, um, which was very, very refreshing. I find it interesting that you think the last time we saw Martha, like, really, because Blink is, is the Doctor Light episode. Mm. So we had the, the Family of Blood two-parter. Um, is that right? That's right. Yeah, okay. Um, and you and I, you know, complained pretty extensively that in that uh, in that two-parter, she goes out of her way 
to go above and beyond loyal to him in in that story um and i think that it would have been in, even more interesting if in utopia you know she'd had that scene with jack where she could have been like the things i've done for this man and he still barely notices me and this is i know now how he treats people that do things for him um mm. you know in in the future i i there's so much subtext with martha uh, boiling away in utopia and it's the only episode of the season i think that actually utilizes it I'd agree with that. It's just frustrating that that subtext never becomes text. Text. Exactly right. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it reminds me of when um, Rose gets to meet Sarah Jane in Mm. in a very sort of similar context, um, you know, and gets to see sort of what the future of the companion looks like. Whereas for Rose, it causes her to like double down. And Martha, it begins the thought process of, I need to get the fuck out of here. Um, And I, I think that that's that's neither a negative about Rose or a positive about Martha. It's just really interesting character writing that they have such different reactions to the way this man treats his companions. Well, I do think it is intentional because like, obviously Martha was only ever written to be a one season companion. And so in some ways, Russell must've been devising this character to say that like, not all people who travel with the doctor need to be completely like, I will die with this man. Yeah. Even though she is for such a long time, which is so frustrating. Um, mm. But something about this story, next week especially, I think she, f- like, is when Martha really finds her voice in some, in a very, in a very specific scene. But even so. Um, and all of this would be to say that, like, Rose, you know, Rose had nothing and she would end her life, like, literally never see her mum again. Uh, to travel with the doctor but you you really do get the sense with martha is that like if it came down to a choice between the two she would choose her family and we know that she will um yeah so all of this is to say like martha is very specifically written to leave him at some point um but Mm. it's just been such a messy ride to get to this point in particular yeah, like it should have started in the middle of the season as opposed to the third to last episode, you know? Mm. And there should have been yeah. like a back and forth and there should have been a actual struggle, but it has been up to this point with Martha. It's just been, um, I love him. I love him. Oh, I love him. <laughs> fucking love him. Oh, yeah. hang on. Everyone who's been around him like fucking gets obliterated. Ugh, maybe I don't want this. Yeah. And then, oh, he's a god next week and then I'm gone. <laughs> but we'll I'm going there. to join the military. Um, oh my god! Oh Martha, 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 Martha. Um, now, uh, obviously, Jack is also uh, tied into this a fair bit, and I think that this is um, my favorite Jack episode. Uh, it uses him perfectly. Yeah, look, I, I agree. He gave a fantastic performance this week, um, but I think it's definitely like the best. Jack's been written as a character before because you and I have noted we noted with season one how like extraneous he felt to the to the action in that season whereas he feels incredibly integral here yeah like before I just got the impression that RTD enjoyed having like a hypersexualized uh queer character uh to to fuck around with and give a gun and do the fun stuff um whereas uh Utopia treats him like a human and treats his relationship to the doctor as specifically very um just dramatically rich uh from the moment that like 
you know, so, you know, they, they land the TARDIS in uh, Cardiff and the Doctor sees Jack running up to it on the computer screen mm. and he just, like, coldly is like, no. He just starts taking off. And then when they finally land, uh, there's like, they have these, like, like a standoff together. Um, and the Jack is like, you left me. And the Doctor's like, did I? And he just stares at him and it's just like, what? this is so mm. cold his his relationship to jack and what they go on to explain why the doctor feels that way which is again like we were talking about with david Tennant's doctor before more of that gatekeeping very aristocrat time energy um you know because he as a time lord views jack as an abomination as you know you're a fixed point in time and mm. i exist to be a lord of these things and you defy that i found it really curious the way he described in that scene where he says like you know it's just something in me you're wrong jack and it's like Mm. these are these are the words that we use when we talk about unconscious bias when we talk about like prejudice basically when um you have this ingrained usually like instilled in you from like family or institutions or whatever to like hate or to like reject something. Um, and that's what the doctor's talking about. It's just annoying that he doesn't even know that's what he's talking about. And that actually that, that the Jack isn't wrong, uh, Mm. you know, and it's also not his fault. And maybe the doctor just needs to grow up. (laughs) Yeah, very much that. But I, I do like that. It's contrasted with, um, uh, the entire direction and acting of the scene where Jack is in the, um, uh, like the rocket room and, you know, the doctor has to stand on the door outside. And so they hit, like they're talking to each other through a little glass pane. Um, and the doctor is just like, you know, Jack, do you want to die? And Jack doesn't answer. And the doctor just like leans his head against the glass. He's like, Jack. And it's so human. Like mm. a- as two actors with chemistry, it's fantastic. And as two characters who understand each other and what each other have been through specifically as it relates to their history together. Um, it just works so well. I, I really love that moment. And it's a nice reminder that even when David Tennant's Doctor is at his worst, there's still that glimmer of empathy buried in there. Um, and it's ultimately that that brings him back from the brink and at the end of his sort of big run. Um, but that's what we mean when we say this feels like the first episode that actually uses Jack correctly because it impacts Martha and the Doctor um, in a meaningful way. Truly. Um, and just to go back just slightly, um, it's curious as well because, like, uh, when we see Series 1 Jack is, you know, a gad about, like, late, like, he's a con artist, he's all these different things, but crucially, he's not immortal. And there is a really no. specific change to this character once that happens, and they are no longer, they're no longer the same person, basically. Um, mm. And it's good to, for the show to grapple with that. I think with that decision it made in season one, because when you you back, go back and watch that, it's, you know, Jack just gets abandoned for no discernible, no reasonable reason. Um, Yeah. Yeah. That scene is pretty fantastic. Mm. I mean, in an episode full of fantastic scenes, like that one in particular stands out to me as, as a real highlight for both those characters and, and both those actors. Um, I think that 
in general, um, I guess on a more technical note, I don't think there's a bad performance in this bunch. Um, no. I think this everyone showed up to work for this, uh, uh, I guess is the best way I could describe it. Yeah. There aren't many, like, obviously there's our main cast and there's Yana. There's Chantho, who gets a really sweet moment with Martha, um, which Martha gets her to swear. Um, it does. It, it's good. I, I do. Let's let's talk about Chantho. You, you brought her up. Let's 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 dive into this uh, one now. Because there is. You uh, want to talk about that thing I I told you, don't you? I want to talk about that thing you told me. I want to talk about some of the writing with Chantho. Uh, I think it's the most um, problematic, quote unquote. Uh, of uh, issue in in this episode is that um, you know Martha might finally escape the doting love interest role, but the only other woman in the story that isn't a mother or a monster becomes a doting sort of like love interest. Unfortunately, isn't it funny um, how Martha like has all of time and space, and every time she lands somewhere, she always meets somebody who's like, <laughs> oh, I love this person, but he doesn't know that I love him, and it's like. It, what what messages are you sending, Doctor? Do you what is oh, this? Oh, Russell. <laughs> which would be interesting. Which would be an interesting theme if it was like throughout the universe, no matter where you are, there'll always be lovelorn people. But it it just translates as like ah ah. Don't forget, Martha loves the Doctor. Don't forget. Yeah, like even um, uh, Freema Adjaman's performance in the moment where she has to deliver like the contractually obligated, I know what it's like to be in love with a person that doesn't notice you exist. Even she looks tired of it by this point. (laughs) (laughs) She was probably just waiting for that paycheck she could get out. Yeah, she's just like, oh my God, what have I done? Um, No, but look, uh, Chantho, uh, I think that I only noticed that she, quote unquote, was like super into Yana in a sexual way on the second time I watched it. Because the first time I was like, oh, she's just like a sweet kind of like, obviously a bit doting, uh, like figure in, in Yana's life. But there's some stuff in the script that I find particularly interesting. Um, She says, so Yana describes uh, Chantho as the last of the race that used to live on the planet that humans have seemingly colonized in their attempt to escape death. And you pair that with the fact that later when Chantho was talking to Martha, she's like, I love him and he doesn't notice me, but I'm happy to serve. And it's like, what is Chantho's mm. role exactly? And why is the script completely unconcerned with dropping these kind of red flags? There's another weird moment, especially weird in this episode, which deals with the Doctor's, like, the fact that he is the last of the Time Lords, where Chantho is like, I am the last of my people. And all the Doctor's concerned about in that scene is, like, finding out the name of the conglomeration. And then he's like, conglomeration, yeah. oh, of course. And then J- Jack has to be the one to be like, you're supposed to say sorry. And yeah. it's played as a very funny moment. And I'm sure Kid Me thought it was very funny. But at the time, at rewatching it, I was just like, oh, yeah, this is uh, like this is a man who used to weep when he found somebody who felt the same way as him. And he just dismisses yeah. Chant, though. Completely. Well, and that's that's it. It's that that's a really really good point actually. Like Chantho isn't given much uh, consideration by the script until it's time for her to sort of fulfill the um, the regeneration role for the master. You know. You're absolutely right. Yeah, like the script just doesn't give a shit about Chantho up until that very specific point where she has to shoot him. 
um, which is curiously mirrored by an, a scene in the next story, but we'll leave that till next week. Um, oh, yeah, so it is. Okay. Mm, <laughs> see, Russell T up there for thinking. Um, mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it has to be said, though, that this that sequence forms part of, like, the last 15 minutes of this episode, which are balls to the walls fucking just excellent television in general. Oh, it's perfect. Um, from the moment Yana brings up the watch, there's this just fizz and energy and pace that, like, thrills my heart, thrilled my heart then, and continues to do so now. Um, and it leads to... Well, Chanto's shooting the the master. Obviously, we have the moment where he, like, opens the watch, which is the first time I think audio, like, past audio clips from the classic series have been used in this show, which is just, like, ugh, fan wank. Mm. Um, but uh, Professor Yana opens the watch, ingests the Time Lord essence, and becomes the master. Later, after he's let the future kind in and, like, Chanto has shot him because he's just ruining all their work, um he goes into the TARDIS and he regenerates essentially, um, into John Sim, which mm. is a choice. I will say the first few minutes where John Sim is on screen as the master, I adore him. I think he is fantastic. And then there's a definitive moment for me. It's when he puts his hand up and he's like, bye-bye or something like that, that I'm like, mm, I'm out. <laughs> is that the, I think that's the very last line he says where he's like, end of the universe, bye-bye. Yep. Uh, it's just like, nope, nope. Now I don't like you anymore. But I think up until that point he has, because, you know, um, when the master is regenerating, uh, first of all, to tie a bow on the, the Chantho stuff, uh, when he's regenerating, he's just like, oh, killed by an insect and a woman, no less. It's like, what? Whoa. But that's so <laughs> in character for him. Oh no no it is I, and I think it's a I think it's a really interesting choice and especially given what we see of John Sims Master with the way he treats the next woman in his life uh, I think specifically making this era of the Master outright misogynistic is fantastic as a character choice I really really like that um, and so we we transition from that and then he's like well if the Doctor can be young and strong then why can't I mm. and he transforms into John Sims who's a very like spry young man at this point um, and the way that he's bouncing around that TARDIS. He has so much unbridled glee mm. at what he's doing that I can't help but get on board with the performance choice um, until he turns into a cartoon character. Well, it's very specifically mirroring David Tennant, right? Like, mm. that's exact. It's just like a perverted version of the way that he dances around the TARDIS and gets gleeful about... Um, about uh, doing it. And obviously we'll see that even next week, those comparisons continue, especially with regards to what he does to the TARDIS. Um, it's just John Sim. So like, if we were to talk about Russell, like David Tennant's like main sort of trait as a doctor to be young and energetic. Um, John Sim's main sort of takeaway from this character is that he's crazy and <laughs> yeah, in, in the very like j modern Joker sense, like oh whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's it. Look, let's not give it too much airtime. We will have two episodes of John Sim next week to talk about. But oh, yeah. um, I think it's just I think there's a reason why like so many people 
wished against hope and probably would have made this story way better that Derek Jacobi had just stayed on for the last yeah. two episodes too. Um, I don't know. I agree. No, I, I do agree with that. Um, it, it bring, It's an interesting point. Uh, just on a personal preference kind of level. Um, I know that the drums in Yana's head go on to become like quite a defining point of this new master origin story that they tell in the next couple of episodes. Um, but I put this in my notes. I would have preferred if the idea that I liked the idea of the drums as the master trying to break out of his subconscious prison, as opposed to the master is just genuinely insane. Uh, because through John Sims performance choices and the way the script writes him over the next two stories. Um, it, he just becomes a far less interesting character when all he's allowed to be is like wacky. It's the same problem I'm having at the moment with Sasha Dewan's master, who I think he's a phenomenal actor. And again, when he's allowed to have quiet moments, I think he's really, really good. But because the script so predominantly uh, views the master as quite a shallow antithesis to the doctor, as opposed to like what we saw with uh, Missy, for example, <laughs> Stephen Moffat <laughs> getting a ride again, buddy. Um, <laughs> I, I just find this particular read on the master to be a bit disappointing because I think that Missy's master and and uh, Derek Jacobi's master are where we probably should be going with the character, which is much yeah. more of a layered, sad figure as opposed to a crazy figure. And it's it's funny because like I completely forgot about the drums and what I was thinking about watching that moment uh, and re- just remembering all of the ways which Russell T is like goes out of his way to explain the master. Yeah, and it's like just that it robs that character of all the agency that they've ever had to say that they are being tormented and guided by this drum in their head. Um, yeah. And, you know, when we get to Missy, you know, like I couldn't ever say, I wouldn't look at Miss Missy doesn't have drums. This is the thing. No. Missy doesn't have drums. <laughs> it is something very specific to Russell T Davies era of the show. Um, and I, yeah, you're right. I really actually hated that addition. Yeah, it's just, it, it, it's not great. I also just want to say a, a quick note. I know that we've just used the word crazy a couple of times um, mm. and that isn't a fantastic term. Um, no. And so like, we apologize for that. It's, it's just, it, it, it's, it's, it's language shorthand. Um, uh, sorry. Our bad on that one. Absolutely. Um, it's, it's just, yeah, it, I don't know. It, it it doesn't work for us, and we're going to really get into that over um, next week's episodes. So yeah. we should probably sort of kick that can a bit further down. Um, in, a, in a general sense... Oh. No, you go on. In, in a general sense, I just want to sort of dovetail off what you were talking about before. Um, the That last 15 minutes being as tight and as interesting as it is. Like, uh, Utopia... Technically speaking, I, I think gets uh, quite a bit right. And then I think some of the direction is also a bit wobbly. How do you feel about it? Just like structurally speaking. Structurally, I think it's a really tight episode and it was the easiest plot synopsis I've ever had to write because not a lot mm. happens, but it feels like a lot happens because of the propulsion of the, of the direction I would say. And like, even if it is, you know, clunky or unremarkable, you know, Graham Harper does keep up the pace quite well. Um, yes. I think that's why they keep bringing him back. I th- this is the last time they bring him back, though, isn't it? He does the Stolen Earth 
um, finale and a few episodes <gasps> in season four. I think he does oh. Unicorn and the Wasp. <laughs> and Planet of the Ood. I just remembered. Uh, wait, are you serious? Yeah. I liked Planet of the Ood, though. Damn. I know. <laughs> no, look, okay. Um. Uh, yeah, look, I, I just think that... Um, for some reason, his direction in this episode doesn't entirely work for me. It's a lot of very awkward close-ups. I think it's edited together a bit sloppily, except for, again, that last 15 minutes is like the perfect harmony of Murray Gold's score, his direction, RTD's script, everyone's performances. Um, it is shockingly good Doctor Who. Uh, yeah, I actually can't fault... I can't fault this episode... For the most part, I can't falter, even though we've actually highlighted mm. a lot of things that I hadn't thought of initially. Um, and look, it, those last 15 minutes, like I talked about how like it thrilled me, but it thrills me in a very Doctor Who way. Um, that yeah. Not even I think the Daleks up to this point have done so. Like, this is the kind of an episode that like rewards people who've been watching for since... Chris Rackleston and yeah, it's just, it's so good. And it's so sad <laughs> that it kicks off. <laughs> it, what, what I mean to say is like this episode it l- makes you so, and en- like it makes you anticipate the finale, right? Oh yeah. And then we get the finale. <laughs> and then, Oh, that finale. That finale is going to be quite a time for us to talk about. Because mm. yeah, obviously next week we'll, we'll do the two-parter and then we're going to do like our, our season recap that we often do. Um, and I don't think either of us are particularly looking forward to it just because what comes after Utopia is so messy. Um, and but it, uh, it'll make for yeah. good conversation. Look, it certainly will. Uh, I love a good, I love a good bit of discourse. Uh, is there anything else you want to talk about with Utopia before we wrap up? Just one last point about Martha, which was like how much I enjoy seeing Freema Adjaman every week and how much I am going to miss her genuinely. Mm. Um, I yeah. think, yeah, this is probably, this is a great Martha episode. Like I love when she like asks Crete what Utopia will be like. Um, like she's got this kind of joy about her, which I forgot about Like she ha- like has from that early days. Um, like the giggling with Chantho and the being openly bitchy about Rose. I was just like, oh, you could go further, girl. Um, <laughs> yeah. I just really love Martha in this episode. And like the energy that she has is so... Like, this is the first episode where I felt like Martha like just enjoys traveling with or without the Doctor. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, she'd be enjoying herself like wherever she was. It doesn't matter about whether he was there. Um and I, you shouldn't want that from your show. You should want the two people <laughs> who, leading it to, like, enjoy one another's company. And this is probably a rare instance where it's like, no, I am enjoying not seeing you together. Yeah. Yeah, I, I completely agree. She, she has her autonomy back in the, in this mm. episode, um, which... And like you said, like, I know that there's uh, one part in the finale where, like, it really, really comes back. And then another part where it's... Well, then we have we'll get Last of the Time Lords, <laughs> basically. Oh, Last of the Time Lords. <laughs> um, Do you have any other yeah, points? Yeah, so... No, that, that's pretty much me done on Utopia. It's just it's it's just really good. It's the same as we talked about with Blink last week. Like, sometimes the show just really fucking nails it. Um, and mm. I, I had a great time. Uh, I'm going to give Utopia an A. I really want to give it an A+, but I don't think it is... You know, it's not... 
yeah, it's an it's, it's a it's an A. It's a really good episode. It's not classic, and it's not like hitting any highs necessarily, but it, it's just turning it out. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, that does it for another week here. Um, as always, thank you everybody for listening. We hugely appreciate it. Um, like Helm said at the top of the show, if you do want to get involved and have your thoughts and feelings read on the show, you can email us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com or you can find us on social media at twoheartspod, the number two. And I have been Callum and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at theatricallum. And I've been James, and you can find me on Twitter at OMG More James. We will see you beautiful people in two weeks' time, mm. um, where, you know, here come the drums, here come the uh, drums. Can you remember, remember the they put traders? the fucking rogue traders into Doctor Who? <laughs> Honestly, Natalie Bassingwaite's highest moment. Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, I was actually listening to the rogue traders the other day, and I was just like, you guys slap. They do. They do. That's our recommendation for this week. That isn't to watch more Doctor Who. Go and listen to the Rogue Traders. Uh, let's spike that, that Spotify statistic and have them confused as to why. Stream Rogue Traders. Stream Purge the Poison. <laughs> anyway, we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> no shade, Marina. No shade. Um, you guys have a lovely week. Uh, stay safe. Be kind. And we will see you in two weeks time. Bye. Bye. We-